Virginia Tech suffered its first loss of the football season. UVA drops a game and possibly loses its quarterback. And with the Miami game comfortably behind it, is there anybody left in the ACC for Clemson to be afraid of? All that and more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 24 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you? I'm well, Mike. Good afternoon. Is uh, Mike Phillips, our boss, going to give us a gift for our silver anniversary episode next week? I assume we have silver watches coming our way. All right. I believe the plan, though, is I buy one for you and you buy one for me. So Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if we get to 100, we'll... Uh, We'll have something, and I think if we get to a hundred, maybe we'll have some giveaways for our listeners too. There you that, go. That would be quite a quite a milestone. Uh, but it's certainly been fun, and it's been fun because we do have real football to talk about. We're in the middle of a real football season, and David, there's a ton of real football news. So let's let's get right to it, and let's start with Virginia Tech. And you know, maybe all all the absences, COVID related, roster related, maybe that finally caught up with them. Maybe it's just that North Carolina looks like. It's pretty good, uh, but Tech did suffer its first loss of the year, 56-45 Saturday down in Chapel Hill. You were there. You saw this team fall behind 21 nothing. What was behind that that awful start? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were they were bad on on both sides, and you you suspected at least, Mike, that the defense was going to have big-time issues if that secondary was again depleted as it had been the previous Saturday at Duke. And sure enough, this time at the safety spot, the Hokies were just rail thin. And Sam Howell and company exploited that. And Braxton Burmeister and the Tech offense were not able to help the defense out and hold on to the ball or muster any points in falling behind 21 nothing so it was it was a perfect storm and uh, as as you mentioned especially on the offensive side Tar Heels look like they might be, and I, I emphasize might, be pretty good. Yeah, and you know, my Twitter feed and my email was uh, full of messages saying, hey, yeah, guys are out in the secondary, but this team couldn't stop the run. But but David, that's that's a little simplistic, right? Because it's an 11-man game, and, and that secondary plays into run defense, and the, the lack of guys in the secondary, that plays into what Justin Hamilton can call, how he's aligning things. So it's a little too simple to say um, that that secondary only affects pass defense. Absolutely, especially at the safety spot. And let's not forget that Deshaun Crawford, who I would say was arguably their best defensive tackle last season, did not play again on Saturday. And that's a big old young man with some quickness in the middle who clearly would have helped against Michael Carter and Javante Williams, both of whom, by the way, went over a buck 50, Carter over 200, only the second time in UNC program history and the first since 1981 the two backs went over a buck fifty. Yeah, that that is a piece of trivia that Justin Hamilton does not love having stapled to his first game as defensive right. coordinator. I think we both think uh, Justin Hamilton is going to be a pretty good coach for the Hokies, and and you know this will be behind him at some 
standpoint, but man, for his debut game, that was rough. Yeah, 656 yards, Mike. They could have been a lot more, and the 56 points could have been more because the Tar Heels are taking a knee in the red zone there at the end. But 656 is the second most yards that the Hokies have ever allowed. Oof. Now, I, I do think some of some of everything of 2020 gets that big asterisk, the COVID asterisk. It's like baseball in the, the steroid era. But I'll tell you, what looked to be on steroids at a point was Tech's offense when it got going. I mean, that yeah. looked strong. And it started with, yet again, Khalil Herbert. David, it's three weeks of this. This isn't a fluke or a fast start. This guy's good, isn't he? He really is. He's, he's the first Tech back since Trayvon McMillan in 2015, I believe it was to go over 100 yards in, <clears throat> excuse me, three consecutive weeks. But I think everyone who remembers Trayvon, and, and, and no offense to him, and everyone who has seen Khalil Herbert understands that Khalil Herbert's in a different league from Trayvon McMillan. Uh, just the burst. And, and one thing I noticed, Mike, and maybe I haven't been observant enough in the previous two games, but I, th- I noticed a patience about Herbert's running style on Saturday where he just kind of, I mean, wait's a bad word, but <laughs> just kind of bide his time. And then once he read a block or saw what the defense was going to do, that's when he could instantly find another gear. And that that extra gear, suffice to say, is quite impressive. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And watching him, it reminded me of, if you remember Edron James, when he played at Miami and then in the NFL, he had that, it, it almost looked like he was in slow motion, like he wasn't doing anything. And then so decisive when he found the spot and committed. Um, and that's what I've seen from Herbert is he's he's very patient. He, he's very methodical and waiting for the blocks, waiting for the play to develop. But once it's time to go, man, he goes and he goes hard and he goes quick quick. And uh, that is something that I imagine whether the coaches knew exactly what they had in him or not. I think they know now after three games, and I I would expect him to be such a major focal point going forward. And you know, it's an interesting time for this offense because they also on Saturday went back to Hendon Hooker at quarterback. Hendon's been out. He he had a health issue that was discovered through COVID screening. Uh, He missed two weeks of practice, he told us today. Took a while to get back in shape, to get back up to speed. But he's the starting quarterback again. David, before before we go any any deeper, uh, what did Hendon do Saturday that got them going? A little bit of everything. He's he's more mobile than Braxton Burmeister, better in in the run game on on the read option, and he's he's better thrower. I mean. Burmeister was 9 for 24 at Duke. He was 7 for 15 Saturday. Now, Hooker wasn't great. He was 7 for 13, and he, he missed some throws, but he connected with James Mitchell on a couple of big ones, hit Trey Turner on one, I believe, and threw for a pair of touchdowns, ran for another. In the second half, they, they scored 31 points with, with Hendon Hooker playing quarterback. That's going to win a lot of games. Yeah, he, he just gives this team something that's been missing, especially, I think, on third down. And here's what Justin Fuente uh, had to say once again about Hooker being the starting quarterback for the Hokies. That can help you limit some of the looks and, and maybe pare things down. But, you know, and then the other thing is, I you know, Hendon understands what we're trying to get done, what we're trying to accomplish, trying to get things into third and a little bit more manageable. Sometimes with a guy that can run around a little bit is a little bit easier task 
as well. So, David, what is it on third down about Hendon Hooker? Is it just that he's a good player, or is there something about his skill set that makes him more likely for you to be able to move the chains on such a crucial down? Well, I think it's a little bit of both, Mike, but because of his mobility, he challenges defenses in ways that strictly a pocket passer will not. And they have to account for him. And that clearly is an advantage for the offense. Well, David, that brings us nicely to this week's installment of Take It or Leave It. Thanks, Mike. Hinton Hooker is once again the Hokies' starting quarterback. Tech made the right move going back to Hooker now that he's ready. Take it or leave it. Let's start with David. Oh, no question. You're you're, you're taking this one. This is a, a no-brainer. The Hokies averaged better than seven yards a play with Hooker at quarterback on Saturday. He was 6-2 and two as a starter last season, 5-1 and one in the league. This is – you have to – and I wrote about this – for tomorrow, which would be Wednesday's paper, Mike, that in this particular season with offenses just dominating the defense, scoring in the ACC is nearly at record levels. You've got to have the right quarterback because chances are you're going to need 35 or maybe even 40 points to win the game. So yes, Hendon Hooker at quarterback until further notice. Okay, Mike. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I leave it in the sense that I think they made a mistake not opening the game with Hendon Hooker. This was going to be a game where your defense, which is battered, which is shorthanded, was going to be up against it. And if Hendon Hooker was ready to play and ready to play at the level we saw him play in the second half, I don't understand the delay. I don't understand starting the game with Burmeister. I don't understand getting Hooker one series in. It just... To me, if he was ready, he's your guy. And the sooner you get him out there, the sooner he's up to speed, the sooner you can compete. I think everything we just talked about, about third down, I think that would have really helped the defense if there was just a little more pop, a little more spark in that offense. Instead, they fall behind 21 nothing, and then it's like, okay, Hendon Hooker, you were ready, so bring us back. He did a great job of it, <laughs> and it certainly helped possession and, and keep things away from the defense, let them kind of get back from being on their heels. But um, I leave it just in the sense that why wasn't Hendon Hooker the quarterback right from the start, David? Well, all I can tell you, Mike, is coaches value practice time. And if Burmeister had been effective on Saturday, I don't know how much you would have seen of Hooker. And I think the comparison is is apt with, with uh, Devin Leary at North Carolina State. Dave Dorn did the exact same thing that Justin Fuente did with Hendon Hooker. Doesn't mean it was right, but Leary missed 20 days of camp with with COVID issues, either quarantine or with the virus itself. He did not start the opener. He did not start week two, came off the bench. And then finally they named him the starter and he's ready and he's ready to go. And they've they've benefited. They've beaten Pitt and UVA in back-to-back weeks. He's got six touchdown passes and one pick during that time. But I think coaches are just so leery of throwing a guy who hasn't practiced this much into a starring role. It's just how they're wired. It's a great point. It's just, it's so easy from this chair to sit there looking back and say, this team was better with Hendon Hooker at the offense Saturday. The sooner you got to him, the better off you would be. But I think you uh, can say the same thing about last season too, right, Mike? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
there's like a reluctance to go to this guy. And then when they do, yeah, you're right. It pays off immediately. So that makes me wonder one thing is he, but they should have figured this out by now. Maybe he's not a good practice player. (laughs) Maybe he's just one of those cats who come game day. He he turns it on. I, I don't know. We don't see practice, but yeah, there's, it, it, it's an interesting question and a very valid one. Yeah, you know, they call those guys gamers. And, and Virginia Tech may have two or even three of those guys, right? I mean, Burmeister had his moments. Uh, Quincy Patterson has had his moments. Obviously, we know what Hendon Hooker can do. And, you know, they feel like they can compete with, with all those guys. UVA, they may be down to just one of those guys on Saturday. Now, that's, David, because starter Brennan Armstrong, he suffered a concussion in the second half of that loss to North Carolina State, 38-21 at home. He was hit on the sideline. It was a play that resulted in a targeting ejection. Now, UVA coach Bronco Mendenhall said Monday, this was Armstrong's first concussion in college. So there's a chance he'll be able to return. He's, he's listed as day-to-day. If Armstrong can't go, it's Lyndall Stone for the Who's. Stone is a player that coaches and teammates, they have a ton of confidence. He's got a great mastery of the offense. He has an ability to throw the football. But David, he's a very different player than, than Brandon Armstrong. And this would be a big blow to Virginia, right? No question. I mean, you, you, you lose QB1. I mean, Brennan Armstrong won the job for a reason, and I don't think the competition was particularly close from listening to Coach Beck and Coach Mendenhall. It just seems like he he was clearly the best quarterback in the program and is clearly the best quarterback in the program. And with, without him, Saturday at Wake Forest – no question an issue. And he, again, in comparing Burmeister and Hooker, we talked about how Hooker is much more mobile. Well, Armstrong is much more mobile than Stone. Oh, and David, that is a even larger gap there. <laughs> Burmeister can scoot a little bit. Yeah. Lindell Stone, and Lindell Stone, again, he, he's a good player and he can do a lot of things. Running the football is not one of them. That's not part of, he, he's six foot, 240. He, he's just not, he's not built speed-wise to take off and go. He's also been a little interception prone in, in his college career and you know he's had some you know pretty pretty obvious interceptions and the one he threw this past weekend I know Bronco Mendenhall said part of it was was on the receiver and and running the wrong route but North Carolina State also dropped three or four that were in their hands and right now if you're Lyndall Stone if you get the start ball security's got to be mission number one two three and four doesn't it ball security and they need to find some semblance Mike of a run running game to to help him out because if if the quarterback can't run for UVA who's going to these days i mean Wayne Talapapa can move the chains occasionally but he is not a a breakaway back is Shane Simpson uh we haven't seen it yet so Man, w- w- without Armstrong, that that running attack would be really compromised. Yeah, UVA has been one of the worst or least effective running teams in the ACC. They're getting just four yards per carry, and even if it's not big plays, I think you're right, David. I think that Simpson and Talapapa together they need to get those yards that Armstrong got. Armstrong wasn't going out and Bryce Perkinsing to to make up a word right. out there, right? I mean, he wasn't hurdling guys, he wasn't breaking off 50, 60 yard runs, but he was moving the chains. It was a very 
productive offense, and a big part of it was quarterback power. A big part of it was design quarterback run. That is now out of the playbook, essentially, with Lyndall Stone. I think it is just vital for them to get, even if it's just a ground and pound. And David, they talked a lot about that in the preseason, that you know their scrimmages focused on running the ball. Their offensive line was focused on running the ball. They had these two backs. I think now is the time, especially if, if it's true that Armstrong is a no-go, now's the time to put up or shut up. Well, they've been talking about it, Mike, for three or four years. Yes, sir. So th- th- this is nothing new, and it's it's clearly something that for Virginia to continue what Bronco Mendenhall likes to call unbroken growth, going to have to fix it. And maybe Wake Forest is the, the, the perfect elixir because the Deacons, mm, I, I would boogie bash them notwithstanding. I'm not sure how good they are defensively. Yeah, there, there's certainly an opportunity there to correct things on offense. But David, offense wasn't the only problem <laughs> Saturday in the loss to NC State. And uh, I thought Bronco Mendenhall, he made a great point. He told me after the game, he said, it felt like his team spent the entire afternoon waiting around for somebody to make a big play, a game-changing play, and then no one did. Offense is where you generally look, but I think this is a defense that has big play potential. I think this is a defense, a secondary, a linebacking core that should be able to create those kind of plays. Instead, they weren't there. UVA, it's got just seven sacks on the season. It didn't get a single one Saturday. Here's Coach Bronco Mendenhall on what the team's getting, or or should I say not getting, from its pass rush. So the pass rush I was really excited with and seemed right on track in game one. Uh, game two, uh, lesser, uh, but still effective. And uh, North Carolina State's quarterback was hit a lot, uh, but not sacked. Uh, Pitt also had trouble uh, sacking him the week before, so their protection held. Our outside backers have to be more productive. That's just where we are. Uh, Our defense thrives on production from those two uh, positions. And to this point, while they're both playing solidly and capably, the impact on the game isn't to the level that we would uh, like it to be and what we expect it to be. So we need more more production, I guess, is the probably the bottom line there. Uh, David, that is shocking in that Charles Snowden and Noah Taylor, those are two guys that I came into the year thinking, man, this might be one of the best pass rush duos in the ACC. Now, Broncos said that both have been solid. They've been steady. Um, you know, he's not hammering them for bad play, but they haven't been dynamic. They haven't been impactful, to use his words. Uh, what do you see there, and how important is that element coming from those two guys? It's essential, Mike. And by the way, is is Bronco Mendenhall the most matter-of-fact, not going to sugarcoat it, bottom-line coach you've ever covered? I mean, and, and, and maybe it's because... Taylor and Snowden are so experienced and so well regarded that Mendenhall knows that he can essentially call them out publicly and that they, number one, won't be offended, but number two, and most important, will be motivated. Yeah, that's a great point. It's if he's happy with how they're playing, if they're playing steady and stable and sturdy and all those things, and he wants more, what a great way to light a little fire under them. And, you know, I, I do. I enjoy Bronco because he, he's one of those guys that always says, you know, I'm not saying anything to you that I haven't already said to my team. I'm not mm-hmm. saying anything to you that I haven't already said to my players, but not everybody shares that stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Bronco says the quiet part out loud, like, 
like people like to say. And and I do. I appreciate it. And I think he's right. I think when you watch this defense, it needs punch off the edge. This scheme, this 3-4, what they want to do, uh, havoc. They always talk about havoc and creating turnovers. And so much of that starts with pressure off the edge, blitzes up the middle. And, you know, Zane Zandir, I thought, was, was pretty honest and blunt, too, with us this week when he said, hey, he felt like he had some shots to get sacks in the game and just didn't finish the play. And that's on the players, right? That's not about scheme. It's not about timing. It's not about when is a blitz called. If you got a shot at a guy, you got to bring him down. And uh, that's certainly got to be a major goal, I would think, going down to Wake Forest this week. No question. And you know, Sam Hartman at, at Wake is a good quarterback now. People are going to forget that as a freshman, he won that job. He beat out Jamie Newman. And then Newman comes in. Uh, eventually when when Hartman goes down with an injury and then Newman ends up as a graduate transfer in Georgia, at Georgia, then he opts out. But Hartman's good. And the Deacons hung, what, 45 on NC State in, in the opener, only to lose by a field goal late. So I I think the Wake offense is, is, is pretty capable. And as Bronco Mendenhall talked about yesterday in his presser, Dave Clawson and his group can coach him up now, especially on that side of the ball. No doubt. Now, one thing for Virginia, they're expecting to get back safety Joey Blunt. I think Joey Blunt, one, is is a great playmaking safety. I think he's one of the better ones in the conference in terms of disruption and, and, and big plays. I also think that if you go back and watch, there were a lot of times that Noah Taylor, who we just kind of banged on for not getting to the quarterback, they had to drop him in coverage and do some things. So while certainly there's more production to be had off the edge, I think getting Blunt back may free up Taylor, may free up Snowden to be a little more pin your ears back and and go get the quarterback. So uh, it's not too it, it may be too soon to to really throw up the red flag. I think full strength, this defense still has a chance to be very good. I agree. And not only can Blunt free up the outside backers, he can create a little havoc himself now. I just remember the, the play down at Clemson two weeks ago when he came off the edge virtually untouched and forced Trevor Lawrence into an intentional grounding. Yeah, it's funny. You know, For a couple of years, we've heard Broncos say about Joey Blunt that he makes the, the exceptional play. We need to get him to make the routine play. Um, and I think right now, if you're Virginia, you could use a little, hey, even if the, the routine's missing, you need a little exceptional right now. That's that's kind of what's missing on both sides of the ball. I said it too. The, the offense, I mean, Lavelle Davis Jr., the receiver, he looks like a big play waiting to happen. It just didn't happen in, in the right spots against State. Billy Kemp, throw him the ball two, three yards away from you, and he can take it a lot further than that. It just didn't really happen. Uh, but they did get, <laughs> David, they did get that fake punt. Hmm. And linebacker Nick Jackson looks like like a interesting receiving target. So <laughs> I, I, I just, I bring it up because I thought that was a situation where what I ended up writing about after the game, the coaches recognized it in game. They needed a spark. They needed something. I thought that was really smart timing uh, to go with that, get that. And that kind of brought back at least some life to that team in that game. Ricky Brumfield's really good. <laughs> Their special teams coordinator. I, the difference that he has made since arriving in Charlottesville and not just with gadget plays or as as you were talking about with blunt the exceptional plays he's he's made the routine better at uva too just in turn you know making a 35 yard field goal 
punts, punt coverage. They're they're just better all around with him coordinating the special teams. Yeah, punting and kicking definitely very good. They need a little more pop right now in that return game. Whether it's Kemp on on the punts, whether it's Simpson on the kick returns. Uh, but obviously nobody was going to replace Joe Reed and and what he brought. When I think of Brumfeld, I, I still think of that Zoom session where I asked him if having Tony Poljan, who was a, a quarterback at Central Michigan, now a tight end at UVA, I said, does that kind of lend itself to some trick plays? And he stared into the screen of the Zoom and he said, we don't run trick plays. <laughs> kind of <laughs> gave a big wink. So yeah, they've, there's some creativity on the staff uh, as well. Now, David, at this point, neither UVA nor Virginia Tech look like ACC title contenders. And yeah, there's more football to play. We'll see how it shakes out. But I think that's fair at this point. Louisville and Pittsburgh, both of who I work was kind of high on going into the year. They've stumbled pretty badly early on. Miami, the Hurricanes, they got their big shot against Clemson. And, and David, it, it wasn't really close. The, the top-ranked Tigers undressed Miami 42-17. to 17. Uh, The Virginia loss in Death Valley a week earlier that we were at, that was more competitive than this one. What did you see in the game, David? Well, Mike, in its first three games, Miami allowed three quarterback sacks. Saturday night in Death Valley, Miami allowed three sacks on the first seven plays. <laughs> you think Brent Venables and his group were a little bit ready? I, when when he, you know, he's, he's Clemson's defensive coordinator. And now that Bud Foster has retired, I don't think there's any question who the best and most accomplished defensive coordinator in college football is. I mean, he is just the, the personnel turns over year after year after year, but yet season after season after season, Clemson emerges on that side of the ball, especially in big moments such as Saturday night down there. And oh, by the way, Clemson hasn't had three quarters of its projected starting defensive line on the field this season due to injuries and illness and such. That's even if I'm (laughs) a rival in the ACC, a little more troubling to think about. Yeah, I mean, there was all this talk in the preseason about everybody was going to be a little off and a little more vulnerable and COVID was disrupting everything and everything's a little off. And then there's Clemson. It's like nobody told them that that they're supposed to be a little off or that they're supposed to be easing into the year. And uh, They just look raring to go. They look like a national championship team yet again. I went into the year very curious, and I think I said this on this podcast a few times, where was the bigger gap? Was it between Clemson and, and who's next or kind of who's next and who's third? A lot of people thought maybe Miami was in that discussion. David, I think we can take Miami out of that discussion. At the same time, Notre Dame, they went out and, and an ugly first quarter aside, they they put it on Florida State pretty well this past weekend. The Irish are now 3-0. and <sighs> When you look at the Irish, what do you see? I mean, Ian Book is that guy who just seems to be underappreciated. Uh, they seem to have a lot of weapons. What, what do you like about the Irish? I like them, especially on defense. I think they're really good on that side. I think Ian Book is an above average quarterback. I think he's got some running backs this season. Obviously, his offensive line is exceptional. The big question there is it wide out. Um, the three people or the three teams that Notre Dame has beaten this season, Duke, South Florida, Florida State, have a combined one win against FBS opponents. And 
Notre Dame gets Louisville this week. Louisville's 0-3 in the ACC with only a win against Conference USA's Western Kentucky. I'm not sure how much of a challenge that's going to be. So I'm I'm withholding judgment on on Notre Dame. Not quite sold yet. So wait and see on the Irish, but I'm not going to let you wait entirely because I want to know this. There are two other unbeatens in the ACC outside of Clemson. It's Notre Dame and North Carolina. Whose start do you think has been more impressive? Oh, North Carolina's by far. I mean, they're 3-0 in the league. So there's three FBS, you know, wins right right off the bat in, in conference. One at Boston College, which is obviously playing well. I think the Boston College win and the Virginia Tech win trump anything that Notre Dame has done. Now, as I move down the standings, <laughs> there's a pack of, of one-loss teams, right, that are right there, and that includes Virginia Tech. It includes North Carolina State that seems to be finding itself. It includes Boston College, which visits Virginia Tech this weekend. Of those, which one of those one-loss that I just named, uh, Virginia Tech, North Carolina State, Boston College. Who's been the most impressive in that group? I think BC has for a couple different reasons. Number one, took Carolina to the absolute wire. And by the way, held Carolina to 26 points, two of which came on a returned interception of a two-point conversion pass. (laughs) So essentially held that offense to 24 points. That's pretty good. And Phil Dracovic is leading the league in passing, throwing it for like 295 yards a game. You know, new coaching staff there with Jeff Halfley, uh, Frank Signetti, the brother of JMU coach Kurt Signetti is the offensive coordinator. He's got a lot of experience both at the Power Five and NFL levels. Uh, I, I like what BC has done thus far, but now the Eagles come to Blacksburg and perhaps facing a Virginia Tech team that could be at its at its healthiest this season. Yeah, what you said makes perfect sense. And the only asterisk I throw up is I don't think we've really seen Virginia Tech yet. Right. <laughs> right? We don't really know mm-hmm. what their full strength, how they're going to look, what that defense is going to be when it's whole, what that offense is going to be with Hooker as the starter, understanding what they have in, in Khalil Herbert. Um, I think the finished product of Virginia Tech uh, may be the most impressive, but to this point right now, it's hard to argue with, with Boston College because they've also changed their identity, right? Close your eyes and picture Boston College football and you picture really big oversized linemen and a bruising back and they run the ball 45 times a game and that's not the way they're doing it. They're, they're big, strong guys, they're quarterback and uh, they're throwing the football. It's, it's a very different time at Boston College. It absolutely is. And, you know, fascinated to see him come into Lane Stadium. Uh, Zay Flowers, well, number one, Zay Flowers, number two, Hunter Long, the tight end. They, Mm -hmm. They are first and second in the league in receiving yards per game. Not very often that you see a receiver tight end tandem putting up those kinds of numbers. Yeah, now you will be there Saturday in, in Lane Stadium to watch uh, the Eagles and the Hokies. I'm going to be seeing one of the teams that are in my next group, and it is a <laughs> less less distinguished group. I'll be at UVA's game in Wake Forest, and David, the Demon Deacons are one of three teams in the ACC who have not yet won a league game. That's Florida State, Louisville, and Wake Forest. Of those, who's the most disappointing so far? Based on preseason expectations, Mike, it would clearly be Louisville. I think a lot of people thought that the Cardinals, especially after 
last season when Scott Satterfield's debut was was so encouraging and Malik Cunningham emerged as a quality quarterback surrounded by receivers and running backs. You really thought that Louisville could build off that and and make some noise, but man, it's, it's like they've reverted to their defense of the Bobby Petrino era. I mean, just awful. They cannot stop anyone. And I mean, Georgia Tech just diced them up last Friday night, really did. And so there they sit, 0-3 in the league. And oh, by the way, headed to South Bend on Saturday, staring at 0-4 and a complete non-factor. Yeah, I think if you look at Florida State, and, and this is like the old tired story of Florida State, but it's still true, there's still so much talent in that program. So it's kind of shocking to see them in that group. But you look at the schedule and who they've played, it's not so egregious, right? In the games they've lost, uh, you kind to get it maybe if that if that makes sense except maybe for their opener which was was certainly eye opening but then I, I look at Wake Forest, and to me, they become the disappointment if they don't get it done this weekend. Uh, you know, similarly, they've lost to Clemson, they've lost at NC State. Uh, their win came against Campbell. I, you know, whatever about that. But uh, to me, Wake Forest is on the precipice of being a disappointing team or kind of saving its season. And it's part of what makes this weekend's game so intriguing to me. Is I think both UVA and Wake Forest have to win Saturday to make something of this season. Oh, I I couldn't agree with you more. And don't look now, Mike, but Wake Forest has already played Clemson. But oh, by the way, Notre Dame, Miami, and North Carolina soon to follow. The only team in the ACC that has to play all four of those squads this season. Well, we've talked about Clemson's quarterback. We've talked about Boston College's quarterback. Uh, We've talked about Zay Flowers and, and some of the big emerging weapons. I'm curious, David, as you look around the ACC, is there a player uh, on the offensive side of the ball now who's sort of surprised you in a way that is impacting their their team? In other words, somebody who's better than you thought, and it's translating to success on the field for their team. I think Devin Leary, you know, the, 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 the guy you saw last week against UVA. Now, his numbers weren't great against UVA. But as I mentioned earlier, in his two starts, he's got six touchdown passes and one pick. And that drive at the end of the pit game two weeks ago, that pit defense is pretty salty. And to go on the road, I know no fans, maybe home road doesn't even matter this season. But they're down in that game. And they had just gotten their teeth kicked in the week before in Blacksburg. And no timeouts left, less than two on the clock. You got to go 70 plus yards. And by the way, field goal is not good enough. You got to score a touchdown. And he did it. You know, he was he was decent last year starting, I think it was NC State's last six or eight games. But NC State was awful. They lost their last six conference games last season. So for them to win back-to-back road games in the league with him at quarterback, I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, you know, I think people were ready to shovel some dirt <laughs> on the Wolfpack after that loss to Tech because everyone was so aware of what Tech didn't have and um, who they were playing without. But to finish at Pitt and then to start at UVA, I mean, Leary, you know, I was there for that game. And in that first quarter, watching him throw the football, I would have thought he was going to throw for 500 yards and six touchdowns that day. It's not the way the mm-hmm. game unfolded. It's not the way gameplay goes. You know, you want to salt away a lead 
lead. They were able to run the ball some, but his big play ability, his timing with his receivers, uh, he's got a chance to have a really special year for a team that I think we both feel like is is maybe finding itself here and, and, and coming on here down the stretch. Yep, I agree. And North Carolina State's schedule, conversely to Wake Forest, is very manageable. Yeah, the teams that are appearing down the stretch for them, uh, the teams that I just mentioned in, in, in being winless in the league, FSU, Louisville, Wake Forest, I think it's fair to say that none of them are are going to find their way to the ACC championship game in Charlotte. But David, someone has to. Someone's going to face Clemson for the crown. And that brings us to this week's Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. It is Who You Got. You guys just uh, broke down some of the contenders in the ACC. Now let's assume that Clemson will be in the conference title game. Who will they face? Who You Got? Let's start with Mike. I'm still going to go with Notre Dame, and I understand, David, why you said the you know the jury's out on the Irish. I agree. Uh, you know, maybe a, a game or two from now, I'll, I'll regret this pick, but I still think that you know this is what we want, <laughs> and, and you know, we want Notre Dame to be good and to be in that ACC title game and to and to kind of validate in some ways what Clemson's done. Which it's crazy to, that we're still having that conversation with the national titles that Clemson's won, but there's still this sense of hey, they get a free pass in the regular season, and then they back it up when they get to the playoff or they don't if they lose. Uh, I think Notre Dame as a program has the depth, has the strength. I think at the end of the year, we're going to feel good about them. I think a Notre Dame Clemson ACC title game is going to be something that's really exciting for fans, for media, for the programs. Uh, I still believe in Notre Dame. I, I, I like Carolina, but I think Notre Dame's right now my pick to be that number two. Okay, David. I'm going to take Carolina and it sets up just perfectly for really both Carolina and Notre Dame. Guys, they play Black Friday in Chapel Hill. That could be just a, number one, a terrific football game. That defense against that offense and perhaps a, a bit opposite Clemson at stake. Now, unlike North Carolina, Notre Dame has to play Clemson in the regular season. So Notre Dame-Clemson in the title game would would be a rematch. Now I have another segment for a future show that was going to talk about games you're most looking forward to, but <laughs> we just hit on a couple of those. I mean, and if I'm not mistaken, I should pull it up before I say this, but I believe Carolina plays Notre Dame and then goes to Miami the following week to end the season. So when I originally was thinking about that segment, and this is before seeing what Clemson did to Miami, I thought, wow, if, if you're North Carolina, there's your proving grounds at the end of the year, right? I think mm-hmm. I'm right about that, David. Yes, you are. Notre Dame and then Miami. So that that's going to be the nice thing, assuming that we keep going and we keep playing and we get all these games in, is uh, there are some games coming this way uh, for us in the ACC and, and really nationally across the country. There's some good ones coming our way. Knock on wood, Mike. We've gone two straight weeks in the league without a postponement or cancellation. I don't know if that's a good sign or a sign that they've gotten lucky twice in a row. But um, you know, let's let's just hope it it, it keeps going because the SEC got its first dose of scheduling adjustments this week with with Vanderbilt having an outbreak. Just hope that um, ACC folks can stay healthy. Two weeks in a row, we'll take it. We're, we're saying heave-ho three in a row. So 
Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts. Just find the RTD Podcast channel. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com as well as everything that David and I are writing. The show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.